When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on gifts for a second wedding, a worried runner, and how to pass runners on the road, tips for a solo business owner, and when an interviewer is younger than you. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on smiles. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining Members, your extra question of the week is on late thank you notes coming during a time of mourning. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, hey, hey. We are like so on baby countdown. We are on baby countdown. <laughs> I mean, by the time this show airs, baby's probably going to be born or Pooch is going to be in layer. But like, whoa, we were talking about it when we were trying to move meetings around. Mm-hmm. And Vermont is trying to decide. Well, it wasn't able to come to a conclusion on paid family leave for things like like paternity and maternity leave, but we're they were I think they were proposing like twenty four weeks or something like that, and you and I were laughing so hard because the reality of our business is like Dan and Pooja, this baby around, we're both saying like no 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 if you get business just go do it <laughs> like you know no 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 if you've got a meeting just go do it and Dan and I yesterday were sitting there going like. Oh my gosh, the world of newborn, like, we're probably going to have to move a bunch of stuff around. Like, you need sleep, and you need support, and you need, like, reprieve. <laughs> so I keep reminding myself to breathe deep. This is the calm before the storm. Enjoy these last moments few days. of peace while they last. It's funny you mentioned family leave, because Pooja finished her last week of work last week and is now officially on break, but it's almost like she's working harder than ever before with (laughs) these open days in front of her. I I get these um, uh, text messages that have pictures of the room she just cleaned. Her (laughs) nesting nesting, nesting, nesting. instinct is in full effect, and I'm often the the vacuumer in our house, so I I get these little, hi, I did this. Aren't you proud of me? I say, this is delightful. Thank you so much. (laughs) Dan's like, yes, positive reinforcement. The vacuum cleaner is your friend. (laughs) There's an etiquette angle to all this. Yes, I so appreciate the flexibility of so many of the people that I work with. When we are making these plans, it's, okay, let's put this on the calendar. It's tentative and without fail, whether it's trainers or you or interns, people say... Consultants we're working with, yeah. Give me a call, let me know. We can move this. From this date forward, we'll be flexible. Maybe I'll see you in Waterbury if Mm -hmm. you can't make it into Burlington. Mm -hmm. It's been really nice. There are 
pluses and minuses to owning your own business, being your own boss. <laughs> sure, you could take a three-month paternity leave. We totally could. And I you could die, also but... <laughs> suffer the consequences. No, it's true. It's true. There's a lot of balance to it. There is. And I trust myself to strike that balance, and it makes it much easier when you've got the support of your coworkers, friends, and family. It's one of the things that I I do feel incredibly grateful about this this work and how you and I in particular uh, structure ourselves at the business. I was always that person who was fighting so hard tooth and nail in my 20s for more vacation time. And every vacation was centered around the holiday weekends so that you got the extra day without having to count it. Like, you know, it was like I was really hungry for just the break and the time off. And um, so, so far, no vacation this year. We're going into six months. Tell the story. Tell the story about. I don't know what the story you're thinking of is because I'm just thinking of the fact that, like, we're at that point where it's like, oh, crud, it was a holiday weekend and Monday we're not going to get business done, you know? And That was the story I was oh, thinking was about. Story. Okay, I wasn't sure if that's what you meant, but it is that feeling of like, it's it's funny. I, I just, I am that person where deep inside in my nature, I'm like, time off from work. I want it. I want to be free. But there's so much of me that's like, Oh, but if we got the article written, then that comes in. And if we push this out there, if you just make those connections here, if you do that, and it's like, it's so easy to just be like, oh, just one more thing. Hold on one second. And Dan and I have actually even talked about when, whenever baby is born, then like I go on break too, just to like, if we just are on both break at the same time, maybe that would be good. It's like trying to figure it all out and balance it. But we are incredibly lucky that if we wanted to, to, we could give ourselves that kind of time off, but that balance of, but we have an audience we like to connect to. We have uh, work that we're excited to be doing. And it's, it's like those things that just kind of, I don't know, I feel like such an adult. I'm like, no, no, my life is like my work now. <laughs> I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> it raises an existential question. Different. <laughs> Two-year-olds ask existential questions what did, almost what did all the time. Ask you? <laughs> That is going to work. Why? <laughs> Just blame him. Why? <laughs> You're looking at this little face who's smiling up at you. We're going to talk about Why smiles in our <laughs> postscript, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, why do I go to work? What's <laughs> the fundamental answer to that why? Yeah. And I found myself looking at this angelic little child <laughs> saying, because I like it. <laughs> Not because I have to, not because I need not to. Not because it pays for this house and this food you eat, which is often an answer little children receive. And are good answers. Yeah. Because that sense of responsibility and duty is important and it sustains and moves all of us. That's part of it. But the answer that I love to give is because I like it. And I know it doesn't always work that way. My father has an expression that I love to share. He says, well, that's why they call it work. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to do it and it's not the most fun thing. Yeah. But it is nice to think about those things, wrestle with those things, and answer those questions for yourself and your little two-year-old in a way that's satisfying. <laughs> but we are getting ready, both for baby and the house guests and is the event that a new arrival and can be. coming to stay? Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. nice. Thank goodness. I know. Last time, you guys were so cute with um, Alko would make Pooja this special drink, and she was always putting out fruits, just like we posted to Instagram the other day. Like, it's there's so much, like, that she does 
that's like mom comfort care because she's been there and she knows. And so it's it's really sweet. <laughs> We're timing the start of the meal train for after her departure because there's just no point. There's ah, going to be so much food. That reminds me that I have um I have two cans of homemade summer vegetable soup that I preserved so you don't have to freeze them. That's my big thing. I don't like giving people frozen things because I'm like, I always forget to defrost stuff. So. <laughs> or you can just come and bring it to me because you're my cousin. <laughs> and that's easy. We don't have to do a sign up for it. I see you every week pretty much anyway. <laughs> Going to come visit you at the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Help us pick out a name 24 hours after, after. <laughs> our daughter's been born. <laughs> Speaking of getting ready. Yeah. Should we get ready to answer some questions? I think we should. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Let's do it. Awesome. Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Sustaining members, we know you're out there. Please remember to put sustaining member in your message. We'll answer your questions over on the sustaining member episode, which means we're drawing from a smaller pool. Our first question today is about gifts for a second wedding. Hi, thank you so much for your show. I learned so much from you all, not just from the answers and advice you give, but from your care and attitude in how you approach life. You are a great reminder on how easy it is to be polite and considerate. Thank you. My question is about gifts for weddings. 
In the last year, I have been invited to second weddings, and I am confused on the gift etiquette. These couples have everything they need to set up their house, and they have not registered anywhere. What gift do I give? I am not the best gift giver anyways. I typically always give a check, let the couple spend it where they want. A check to a well-established couple seems very inappropriate and a little out of touch. Help me be a better gift giver. Thank you so much. Anna from St. Louis. Anna from St. Louis. This is such a great version of this question. I yeah. mean, as we know, it's some, we answer sort of There's versions. an etiquette yeah, answer. Of of these. But what I love about this is that you're thinking of things like, typically I always give a check, but that's to a young newlywed couple, you know, to a more established couple, it doesn't quite feel right. And I agree with that. And this is, again, one of those weird Things where we don't often gift money up the seniority ladder. So if this is a second wedding of an aunt or an uncle or something like that, often you would feel weird as a niece or nephew giving them cash. And that it's a funny thing. And we don't really talk about it that much. We don't really like identify it as a strict rule of our culture. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. It does. And whether these couples are in their... 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s as established, or whether it's because the relationship is that of a, of a you know, generation above or something like that, it can feel awkward to give certain types of gifts. So I think your instinct is right. If you're not feeling like a check, don't go with a check in this particular case. But you can certainly call up the bride and groom and simply ask, say, I would just love to get you something. Is there a room of the house or a particular hobby that you could direct me towards so that I could pick something that I think you guys would really like? That's one way to go. You have heard me say it on the show a million one times, but a very simple, very classic picture frame engraved with the date of the wedding. The I think special. is one of. I mean, I, I tell you, one of these days we're going to have our own product line, and that is definitely going to be under the go-to gift category because it's so easy. It can be so elegant. You could have it made out of a beautiful wood in the local area. You could have it made out of glass. You could have it made, you know, out of silver. Whatever you want that is engravable or carvable. Or even, you know, that has some cool printing style that could go on it or something. But I think that that picture frame is always great. We do so much in terms of digital photos that I think it ends up putting more emphasis on how beautiful photos are when they're actually physical printed photos displayed in your home. And so that's one I really go to. Things like vases, serving ware, candlesticks, that kind of stuff tends to all be really good go-to stuff no matter what age or how established the couple are. Think about their interests, hobbies, and personal history. So do they love to golf, run, yes. fly fish? Do These they, are all the things I love. Do they love the opera? <laughs> do they have an interest in a particular cause? Or have they in the past done something that you really connected or identified with them? They love to hike. They love to travel. Totally. Think about the person. Think about your relationship to them, and you can always target one of those interest areas. It's a little bit like asking if there's a room in the house or Absolutely. something that they're looking forward to, but you can base it on your own experience and history with that person. Think so about, meaning you don't even have to ask them. You can just think back to what you've been doing and the experiences you share together. So if it's just dinners, maybe it's something about cooking at home together. A whole other category you can yeah. think about are – 
things that are just really nice but don't last. So <laughs> I kind of like that. I don't know why it sounds funny. Get a gift that doesn't last, but at the same time, consumables or things that that do eventually wear. They, there is something kind of nice to that too, because you get to let go of it. It's not more stuff in your life. It, it turns over. <laughs> yes, and oftentimes you can go a little nicer. For something like that, so really nice chocolates or yeah. really nice soaps. I, I the little word I have I like in my head soaps. is disposable luxuries. Yes, but things that someone will use and enjoy and might be a little more than you would just do for yourself if you're picking up shampoo. Totally, but is a real treat. Yeah. Although somehow I don't think like really fancy shampoo strikes the note of a great wedding gift, but I do get where you're coming from. A nice assortment of bath products, (laughs) which by the way, do you do realize we are just simply suggesting right now, like the very classic bath basket as a gift, which like got so outdone in the nineties that people make fun of it. There is a reason these things are classics. (laughs) They work. (laughs) A whole other category. And you're going to call this risky because I know how you feel about this. I think sometimes you can share something that you really love. It is really risky. I did that with you guys. I don't think you've used your love notebook yet. <laughs> you don't want to push something on someone that isn't going to work or be appropriate for them. But is that what I did? <laughs> no. It was a really nice idea. I liked that gift. You can share a favorite store of yes. yours. I love Simon Pierce, hand-blown glass, Vermont artisans, family business. And they're not widely known outside of Vermont. I mean, they're very highly thought of and regarded, but they're not a mass market product. So giving a Simon Pierce glassware gift is one of my go-tos like the picture frame. And you could easily do a gift certificate if you were unsure of perfect, you know, exact style or exact need. But I like the idea of going to kind of like a specialty store that you love and say, you know, I always love the things from here. You've commented on mine a few times, so I figured you would love picking something out for yourself from this place. A certain jewelry maker, a certain craft person, a certain store – A way to share something you love without necessarily pigeonholing someone into something. I like it. We should also probably just touch on the question of the etiquette around second wedding gift giving. In general, yes. So if this is the second wedding that you're being invited to for someone, then it is you and you got a gift at the first wedding, which you probably should have. um, It's it's not mandatory. It's not obligatory that you get them a gift, even if you attend or don't attend this wedding. However, it's really thoughtful to do so because you really don't want to punish somebody for a second wedding. And I think the idea is that we're celebrating love, you know, regardless of how many times we're celebrating it. I think there are certainly some cases where it starts to seem a bit taxing on family and friends. But I also think that when you feel that groan coming on, remember that we all lead our lives different ways and that not everybody always has one love for a lifetime. There may be many loves throughout a lifetime. And so it's really important to just meet people where they're at and celebrate them in the moment. It doesn't mean you have to break the bank each time. But I do think that especially when it's a second wedding for one member of the couple, but a first wedding for the other, that I would really, really, really consider it as a first wedding then because it's it's like this is really the first time for one of those people. So I just think let's not use the idea of second weddings, the, the kind of general rule is you don't have to give a gift as a punishment or as like a get out of gift free card. But let's instead turn our attitude toward I'm so happy for you. I'd love to celebrate you. And this is how I'm able to do that.
It's not an obligation, but it's an opportunity to hone those gift-giving skills. Exactly. Anna from St. Louis, good luck on your hunt for the perfect gift. Oh, my dear. It's beautiful. Oh, how did you know? I mean, it's the very one I wanted. This question is titled, Worried Runner. Good afternoon, Lizzie and Dan. First off, I love listening to your podcast on my hour-long commute. I've been listening for about six months, and I'm trying to play catch-up. I'm writing to you today because I enjoy going for a run on the weekends, and I tend to get upset if a car passes me and they don't move over into the other lane. I typically run on town roads that have no sidewalks. My question for you both is, should the car move over? If so, how far? Or is it my responsibility to move over onto the dirt, which sometimes isn't an option? What about for people riding a bike instead of running? What if another car is coming? Should they stop and wait for that car to pass and then move over? Thanks in advance for answering. Sincerely worried runner. Dan, let's ask your thoughts first because I have a lot of thoughts on this. I even have my own bad etiquette stories to tell. I'm looking forward to hearing them. (laughs) My thoughts on this is I really appreciated this question because it made me a little bit better today. I was driving to work on a town road. I have to go around the construction in downtown Waterbury right now. So I'm on the river road, a dirt road. And there's somebody on a bike with a kid trailer behind it. And I was saying to myself, how much do I slow down? How much do I move over? This is the question that I was thinking about from today's show script. And How would I feel if it was me and Anisha? It made me proceed with a little more care. Yeah. I slowed down. There was a car coming the other way. They had right-of-way in the oncoming traffic lane, so I slowed down enough to let them pass the biker so that I could also, at a very reasonable and slow speed, pull out, give them plenty of room, and move around without making them feel uncomfortable. That's how it should be. (laughs) I think the official answer here is that you have to give pedestrians the right-of-way. You want to give them a wide berth because... The consequences of a mistake are so serious and it's worth slowing down and giving people room. It's also a courteous and thoughtful thing to do. That sense of anxiety, those nerves that that person feels when a car goes by at high speeds or is close, even if the person driving that car feels in control, feels like it's safe, feels like they understand what's going on, just the feeling that that person who's more exposed has, I think, is worth taking the time. Bingo. It's so true. Let's get into specifics. (laughs) When you are coming up on a runner or a biker on the road going your same direction and there's traffic coming the other way, you do have to wait until that traffic passes for you to safely move into the other lane and pass. Obvious. I mean, that's like an obvious, but don't try to do the thing where you try to just go a little slower and move over just a little bit and then have all three of you kind of crossing some kind of plane at the same time. It's not safe when you don't have the protection of that 1200 pound vehicle around you of metal and plastic and engineering that is meant to keep you safe. Airbags. It is a really terrifying thing to have someone go by you at 35 miles an hour. Slow down to 25. I am not joking. It may seem ridiculous. I I grew up in a town where we have 50 mile an hour roads everywhere, country roads. You drive fat. People drive them at 70. Like it's not, it's, it's just, it's not anywhere remotely close to safe. And yet we need to be able to share the road. 
I really think it's important for runners and bikers when you can to move over as far as you can. Bikers in Vermont have the law with them to be able to bike side by side. Even so, it is far more courteous when if they hear a car coming behind them, they switch to a single file line because it just creates more space for everyone on the road during this kind of impasse that happened, not impasse, sorry, uh, intersection of when everyone come, like crosses at the same time. It's just, it's so, it's so important to realize just how small that road actually is and just how little of a thing could happen to allow for you to actually hit somebody on the road. They trip. Their bike hits a sandy patch. And all of a sudden, they're not on that same line that you're anticipating and they're anticipating. Something in the road startles them. I mean, there's just all kinds of things. Um, And you're right. Actually, the tripping thing is a really important thing to remember. We all range about from, you know, like four and a half feet tall to, you know, six and a half feet tall. And if you think about that laying down sideways on the road, that's pretty far into a lane. And it's your head or it's your legs. It's like important things, you know. But I really do think it's important that drivers slow down, way down to a safe degree and move all the way into the other lane. This isn't just a problem on the roads. It's a problem on bike paths and running trails and and hiking trails as well. Bikers, you really need to call out on your left or or um, on your right, depending on which side you're passing someone when you come up or you need to use your bell. Doing nothing is not acceptable, even when you are having a conversation and someone can hear you coming up behind them. You need to give them enough berth, enough room. Six inches is not enough. You need to move into the other lane or the other side of the bike path to pass somebody. You're going probably like 20 miles an hour compared to a walker going, well, I don't even know what. So slow, I don't know. <laughs> like, It's really important that we take care with the people that are walking and biking and driving, we all share this road and we really, really need to be cautious. I think about my parents on their cross-country bike ride. Oh my God, I can only imagine the stories that they have of rudeness on the road. I think about the minister at my church who was hit by a car on his bike just a couple weeks ago. We often say on this show that safety supersedes etiquette, that it's more important than etiquette. And that is really true. Etiquette is also important. Even if everybody is okay, leaving people feeling safe is also important and is good etiquette. Worried Runner, thank you so much for giving me a chance to vent about my experiences on the road. I really appreciate your thoughtfulness when you are considering passing someone who is not also in a car. I think it's really, really important, and I hope that more and more people hear this message. No matter which side of the wheel we're on, we are prone to stand up for our rights or what we feel are our rights, rather than being courteous and safe. Think about it the next time you have the choice. Be courteous and smart. Don't be dead right. This next one is about tips for a solo business owner. Hello. A question has come up with my clients regarding tipping. I own my own business. I'm an esthetician and do not have any employees. I work solo. My clients and I know that a salon owner is not tipped because it is expected that she is going to receive income from the work of her employees. If a business owner is the only person working in the business, is she or he tipped because she isn't receiving additional income from employees? Thank you with your help on this question. Regards, Lisa. Lisa, the 
big picture etiquette answer is that it's perfectly fine for a business owner who's performing a service that's often tipped for to receive or accept a tip. The word in there is tippable with a question mark after it. And it's it's not underlined in red. So it's a, it's a legit word, I think. Tippable. So if it's a tippable service, yeah. you should feel very comfortable accepting a tip. And if you're someone who's receiving a tippable service from a business owner, you should feel comfortable offering to tip or asking if that person accepts a tip and then doing it. There is a traditional etiquette, a concept that if someone is the owner of an establishment, Mm -hmm. you don't tip them. And it might be because they're making good income from the business. It might be because they pay themselves a certain salary and they don't expect that tip. They also don't have to rent their own chair from themselves, but they do have to pay for all the costs of being a business owner. So some some end up feeling like it's it's um, perfectly acceptable to be accepting tips. Others feel like it's unnecessary. They build what they need into their pricing. It's like a very delicate thing, and you're just going to find people who operate differently in each direction. So I think the idea is that you want to figure out what you feel comfortable with and then find the easy way of communicating that to your customers. So like Dan said, the tip is that we tell customers going in when you don't know or when you are having a service performed by the owner of the business, ask first, do you accept tips? And then you can feel confident saying it. But if you don't know, I think it could be hard to ask someone to start tipping. I, and I just don't think you can. This is where it gets a little tricky. Like, I don't think you could say to someone like, just so you know, I don't have other employees. So I actually do accept tips. I'm not sure that you can say that. That to me sounds a little awkward. Yeah. And like that is not good sample language. <laughs> changing a pattern that's been established with someone is not always an easy thing. We are creatures of habit. And if for whatever reason this habit's been established – I think that kind of direct ask doesn't feel exactly right to me. But I was wondering Mm -hmm. what your thoughts would be on something a little subtler. I'm thinking about something like a tips appreciated basket or sign at the counter. Or what about the payment services that allow you to write in in a gratuity Mm -hmm. or give an option on a touch screen that shows a couple suggested amounts or says other – so this is, this what is I just was our thinking. payment processing and there is a space here for you to do it if you'd if like. If you'd like. That was the direction I was heading in. And I think I would say uh, I would probably have something that is a sign that's that's more in line of, you know, gratuities appreciated or gratuities welcome. I think that's always nice. Appreciated, I think, tends to put a little more expectation on it. So be careful with your language so that it doesn't feel like you are accepting or nudging for tips. You see that on a lot of tour guide things that I I never – I'm always a little like I either want you to just straight out say gratuities are not included in this and typically that is something we see our guests uh, wanting to contribute to. Often people do this percentage. Like I've seen that on, you know, travel sites that I've gone to or things – you know, vacations I've booked, things like that. And that helps. But I think when it's a more intimate relationship of, you know, an an esthetician is someone that you're probably going to go see regularly. So having that sign out there, 
I think could be a nice way, especially for first-time customers to understand, or for those who maybe didn't realize it to understand as well. And be prepared to have the conversation come up of, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, you're the owner and I had always been told that owners don't get tipped and you can battle that conversation and not battle it, you don't have to feel that way, but you can be prepared for it and say something along the lines of, that's very true. A lot of that comes from this place where, you know, often you're making money off the other people who work for you. So when you're a solo business owner, it ends up being a little bit different. Or you could say things like, yeah, I actually don't accept tips because I've built everything I need into the cost of my services and they're at a rate that doesn't require more on top. Um, and so there's just different ways you could choose to explain it and choose to handle it because you are a solo business owner. Lisa, from two solo business owners... Although I don't know if that makes perfect sense to another. We wish you good luck dealing with this tricky situation, and we hope you feel confident about the etiquette behind it. Our next question is titled, When the Interviewer is Younger Than You. And I am so surprised that this is the first time we've gotten this question in five years. Hey, y'all. I'm getting back to listening to the podcast after a hiatus. Welcome back. Here is my question. Is there anything I should be aware of when being interviewed for a job by someone younger than myself that is in a higher position than I would be? Here's the kicker. I'm only 23. Whoa! That was so not what I was expecting. (laughs) My situation is kind of unique, but I am sure this would help some of the older listeners in the audience. Matt. Wow. That is, Matt, you're right. Your situation is unique being 23 and having to interview with someone younger than you. But I think that it's a great perspective kind of shift on the entire interview etiquette thing. And I think that you you go in and give this person all the respect and consideration and sort of interview performance that you would give to anyone that you were sitting across from. And I think actually one of the best things that you could do would be to take them very seriously. And I can understand how that would be way just more ironic for someone who's like, you know, 55 interviewing for someone who was 23. But at the same time, I think that it it will do you well in the interview to really just treat this person as if you had no idea that they are younger than you or that you suspect that they're younger than you because we know some people look young, (laughs) but they're not. Oh, Dan. Dan is basking over there right now. Pooj and I were comparing gray hair last night. Sorry, sidetracked. (laughs) But no, I think you give them all the respect that you possibly can because what you're after is a job. And I mean, do ask yourself the question whether you feel like you can work for someone younger than you. But I think that you you definitely want to give the respect and the and the consideration out there and and not let ageism play a part in it. Because if you do say that, I mean, it's your it's your choice. If you really can't handle it, you know, then then, you know, you can't handle it. But at the same time, that is ageist. You want it. This person has the role that they have hopefully for a reason. And if it's not, that's going to show fairly quickly in their work. So I think you treat the interview and the job like the thing you want and and are going after. And yeah. It would be such an unfortunate reason to not get a job. Right? Treat people the same regardless of age, race, gender. And you're going to be in good shape in most business situations. And I loved your point that 
you can remind yourself that this person's here for a reason. There's some reason. They got the job. <laughs> it's a good reason. It's a bad reason. They were the last woman standing. They showed particular qualities or capabilities. You don't know exactly, but there's a reason they're sitting there. Mm-hmm. And you can dance with any partner if you're a good dancer. And I think this is a good challenge. This is a good moment to say to yourself, can I put some of my assumptions about other people aside and treat them like a person. Put your best foot forward. Be prepared to talk about yourself, your capabilities. Think about the company. Ask yourself ahead of time if you have any questions about the work or the position because those should be the things that are the real focus of an interview. Matt, we hope this helps and good luck with the job. Somewhere in this great land, there is a chance for you to make a living and lead a happy life. Americans have always made their own opportunities. It's up to you to make yours. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Instagram, where we are Emily Post Institute. You can find us on Twitter, where we're at Emily Post Inst, or on Facebook, where we're Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today's first piece of feedback is about group texts. <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just found your show this week. Oh, welcome. It was recommended on one of my favorite podcasts, Pop Culture Happy Hour. Oh, yay. Thank you, Pop Culture Happy Thank Hour. Thank you. I'm already enjoying it very much. Thank you for sharing this important information with us listeners in such a compassionate and simple way. Congratulations on the upcoming bundle of joy, Dan. Yay! (laughs) I had feedback on the group text dilemmas portion of your show this week. As a 27-year-old, the ever-present group text is a serious etiquette conundrum that has popped up in my life over and over again. I have found the best way for me to deal with it is to simply and quietly remove myself from the thread or group. In more delicate instances, where I don't want to visibly leave the group, I simply mute notifications for that group, and it really does not bother me, even though I am someone who usually gets overwhelmed by texts. I feel in control of the situation, so it calms me down simply to know that my phone is not buzzing or dinging every two seconds. I can always skim the text later, delete the text without looking, or jump into the conversation at a later time if I'm in a different mood. I usually just delete them with one swipe after a quick look. I used to think it was very rude to ask to be removed, particularly if you can remove yourself from the group, because I was the recipient of such a request and it left a bad taste in my mouth. So I adopted the personal rule that I would never ask to be removed from a group unless the text was really bothering me, because maybe the person included me for a good reason. So far, I haven't needed to ask, because my muting method works for me. But on this topic, I really like Lizzie's approach of not taking everything so personally, and I think that's much more helpful overall. Thank you for that approach, Lizzie. I will be adopting it. Looking forward to listening to your show for many more weeks. Shalma from Oakland. Nice. I was just in Oakland. Yay. (laughs) I'm really glad to hear that that kind of not taking it so personally attitude is is one that gives you confidence to adopt. The group text thing, man, it's like it is a thing. And I remember our interns, when they have group projects, 
the amount that their phones are going off as they're trying to communicate. And I I mean, there's part of me that just begged the question, why don't you all just hop on a quick five minute conference call? And then the other part of me is like, maybe when you're not in business world, like in the business world, we do that so quickly all the time. Maybe in school, it doesn't feel like you can do that because everyone has such different schedules. Like not everyone's on a strict like nine to five, you know, depending on your time zone. It's like your classes could be all night classes. They could be, you know, some people have jobs they work during different parts of the day or things they have to go do or teams they play for. So it was interesting watching our interns handle their group text messages and especially handling them on their internship hours. Hours, but it was it's it's a really fascinating thing how these group texts. I have one that I ignore constantly, and I really wish they would stop. I've even asked them to please stop including me, but because I only asked one member of the group, the other members of the group think they're being considerate, and they keep including me in this, even though I've never come back to the event that I was first invited to. I've never participated in any of the conversation, like nothing. And so it, they're they're group texts, man. They're like a thing that we deal with. I'm definitely seeing a section in the 20th edition of Emily Post. Oh heck yeah, heck yeah, Shalma. Thanks for the feedback to be continued. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming and you can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to smile. What if I don't want to? Because <laughs> we hear that a lot, right? Oh, just smile. Oh, just smile. Oh, you'd be so much prettier if you just smiled. <laughs> it's like it's this thing, right? Sometimes when we come into the studio that we're sitting in now, there's a sign up on the bulletin board wall next to us that says, remember to smile. They can hear you smile. We say it in our in our uh uh, our advice, not just I was going to say our business advice, but really our, our everyday lifestyle advice about on the phone. Smile when you're on the phone. People can hear it. They can hear your smile. I'm smiling right now. I can see it and I appreciate <laughs> I it. It makes right me now. feel good. It works. Maybe we can make Chris smile. Can we make, oh, Chris smiled. <laughs> so I got thinking about the power of the smile okay. because I'm reading the follow-up book to The Cost of Bad Behavior by Christine Porath. And her new book is called Mastering Civility, A Manifesto for the Workplace. And she is the academic whose work on incivility and rudeness I like the most of anybody that I see writing and publishing right now. If I can carve out the time in the day, I like to read a chapter of the book. I like to give myself time to take it slowly because there's so many good messages packed into it. And the start of a chapter on workplace civility, best practices that really focused on little things that you could do to make improvements every day on your work relationships, she starts off the chapter talking about the power of the smile. And when I hear you say something like, smile, it makes you look pretty, or smile, they can hear you, I know those things can be true. They're also superficial when you're thinking about the deeper power of a smile to both make the person who does it feel really good Mm -hmm. and have a positive impact on people around you. Mm -hmm. In the context of this book, Christine was talking about the impact that a smile can have as part of that first greeting Mm -hmm. or meeting in a day. That if you can just get yourself up and feeling good and smiling at people when you see them, even if it's not 
a situation where you can say hi or hello, where you're right. encountering so many people that you're moving through these interactions Does anyone quickly. Remember the long hallway? <laughs> we were often telling people eye contact and just a smile is all you need. You don't have to say hello or ask them how they are. To deepen her advice, yeah. because she wants to get people past the place where they're just miming through something or sure. doing things in a way that are superficial and aren't significant. She says that the smile has to be sincere for it to really work, for it to work for you and to work for the people around you. She recommends thinking about something that makes you happy. That <laughs> Generally a good thing for making a smile, right? I mean, <laughs> it's such an obvious common sense like not rocket piece of science advice. at all, but it's different. It's different and you feel it, you feel it in your heart. I swear to goodness. You do. You hear it, you feel it in your heart when something is going to make you smile because it's a happy thing for you as opposed to when you just put on that smile. You know, there is a big difference between the two. Puppies, chocolate, a sunny day, your favorite piece of music, a child that you love, a parent that you love. For me, it's so easy. I think about Anisha. Mm -hmm. And I was having this thought as I was reading this book. And one of the next things that Christine talks about is that children, particularly toddlers, smile on average sometime between 300 and 400 times a day. Oh, my gosh. There is a smaller percentage of adults, something like 30, 40 percent of adults don't smile even 50 times a day. That it can wow. be something that you lose touch with yeah, as like you, you get you older. in life. The reminder to smile, to do it for your sake, to do it for the sake of the people around you, was something that was very simple and very powerful for me to be reminded of, and I wanted to bring it to a postscript. I love it because there are so many times where we feel like we have nothing that we can give, that we have nothing that we can give to somebody, right? Whether it's uh, someone in need that we see, sometimes all you do have is something like a smile or uh, I hope you have a good day or something like that. But I am always floored at how, whether it's the security line at the airport where people are often frowning and griffice, whether it's the guy who we were, we had a reporter up visiting the other day and he and I were driving to the Institute and there was a gentleman making a left-hand turn onto the street I was stopped at and he needed a little more room. So I backed my car up a bit and gave him a wave, you know, and he gave me a wave. And then I gave him a really big smile, just like of a, hey, we, we were nice to each other and I didn't say anything. But then he just broke out into this huge smile and we both started laughing. And it was like you had literally this moment of joy over nothing other than a little roadside courtesy. And but we cracked each other up in a moment and drove off on our merry ways. And that's that is to me like the that's the thing that makes me believe in our culture. And it it's a smile costs nothing. Everyone can do it. Your smile also really isn't just your actual lips and teeth showing. It's the sparkle in your eyes. It's your cheeks uh, r raising up and moving out. It's, For it's, me, it's those little wrinkles, crinkles, that appear at the, the corners. Exactly. But whatever, whatever makes your face look happy, that's what you want to get to. And I just, I love, I love the power of the smile. I love that Christine is writing about this. What I love is it goes so closely with our consideration, respect, and honesty that it's something accessible to everyone, that we all have the power to use, that we often can drum up even in our worst. You know what I mean? And that's a really beautiful tool to have in your pocket. So I never want to tell anyone they have to smile, but definitely Lizzie and I want to encourage you to think about someone you can offer a smile to today. Popularity. Popularity. 
What is it made of? I don't know what it is, but there's something about it you like. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Anna in Atlanta. I would like to salute the passengers on the southbound Marta train on my way to the Atlanta airport. First, an older gentleman with a walking stick got on and struggled to find seating. At the same moment, several people shifted seats and helped him sit safely on the moving train. The older gentleman sat across from another man, about his age, who was pretty talkative. He mentioned he hadn't eaten in a while, not asking for anything, just a statement. The first older gentleman, the one who had been helped with a seat, reached into his bag and pulled out a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a dessert and handed it to him. The recipient smiles and jokes, now I just need some water and life would be perfect. A third man who had just got on handed him his water bottle. The man next to me said, I've only been here one day, and I'm amazed by the kindness I've seen. I couldn't agree more, and I'm proud of my fellow Atlantans. Anna from Atlanta. I want to go somewhere that they hand out free Chick-fil-A. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> right? That's people paying attention to each other and people choosing generosity and choosing kindness and choosing to care. And I think that that makes a big difference. And, you know, you can hear the cynics being like, oh, I bet he hops on the bus every other week and says the same stuff. And if that's what gets him fed, then that's what gets him fed. Like, that's just my attitude of it is... If you have and you see and you want to give, let's not try to knock that down. Anna from Atlanta, thank you for sharing this salute with us. I am maybe going to be in an event in Atlanta at the end of July, the beginning of August, and I'm looking forward to it even more now. Because I'll get free food on the bus. No, because everyone in Atlanta is awesome. And maybe I'll get some free Chick-fil-A. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers wherever you cross their paths. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And on Instagram, we are Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. This site is a secure site. Sometimes if you visit it before and you are returning to it, an error message pops up telling you that it is not secure. Just clear your browser and try again. But we have been confirmed that this is a secure site now. You can subscribe to an ads version of our show on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast apps. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show ranking. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.